Truly, I uh, am thankful to be here uh, on the first day of the new year, this new year, this new you, uh, if you will. So uh, I asked God, what's the perfect verse for today? So we're going to jump right in. This is the verse. Read it with me if you don't mind. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk off of wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Amen, right? It's fitting, right? Maybe a bit on the nose. And by the looks of some of you, this should have been the sermon last week. Am I right? I'm just joking. But uh, I'm not going to lie. Whenever uh, Pastor Kevin asked me to preach on this Sunday, the first Sunday of January, I, I didn't want to do it. I do not. I was dismayed. I just don't like the first Sunday of the year because you always have to preach the new year, the new you. I got to tell you the new direction that we're going in as a church in 2023. And hey, this is what God wants for you this year. And you know, there's that expectation. And honestly, I just hate new stuff for the sake of newness, right? Where you got to manufacture newness because the world is pretending there's a big difference just because you have to learn to rewrite the date. So I didn't like it. Um, So when he asked me, uh, I realized, okay, you just did an intense 12-week deep dive into the book of Revelation. Didn't take a day off and went right into the weary Christmas sermon series. So I was like, okay, I'll suck it up. I'll do the one Sunday. But I vowed in that moment, that I wasn't going to preach a new sermon, right? I wasn't going to do a new year. I wasn't going to do a new you. We weren't going to talk about anything new. So I stand here before you after much prayer, after much study, and after eating much humble pie to present you with today's sermon. Make us new wine. Uh, Because sometimes what you're crying out for in your own heart And what you're crying out for for the church and uh, the new year all fall on one day. Um, And that's where we're at. So and I'm always going to swallow my pride and go where God tells me to go because I love him. And he loves me and I want everyone else to know that same love. So some days you have to stand up and look like a fool uh, and swallow your pride and die to yourself because I don't want to live outside of the blessing of God. So we're going to start today. We're going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to talk about the day of Pentecost. Uh, In case you don't know, the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit descended upon his church. Jesus has just left earth, right? He did his whole ministry. He died. He came back to life. He's done that. And then he's going back home. And he says on his way out, hey, I'm going to send you everything you need to do what I told you to do, right? I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. It's going to come. It's going to be an incredible thing. Uh, and, And that's what we're going to see here. We see the receiving of the Holy Spirit of the church. This Holy Spirit is described as a comforter, as a guide, and as the power source. He is the same force that rose Jesus from the dead, who allowed Jesus to walk on water. That same Force empowered Jesus to do the signs and miracle he uh, he had, and this is when that force lands on the church. So let's read it. Right, we're going to jump right into Acts chapter two, starting in the very first verse, and it says, "When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting." They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under the heaven. 
When they heard the sound, a crowd came and got together in bewilderment because they each of one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these speaking Galileans? This is how it is that each of us hears them in, sorry, let me retry that. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? I'm still working on my native language. Um, uh, Parthians, Medes, the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Philema, Egypt and the parts of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. They've had too much wine. You see, the Holy Spirit showed up. Everyone was sitting around in the upper room waiting. They knew it was coming in. Whammo! <laughs> Sorry. No heart attacks. Everyone good? Okay. But that's how it happened. A loud, violent wind noise came and fire started shooting everywhere and hitting people in the forehead. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, think about it. Like, this happened. This isn't just, like, a cool story we made up. This literally happened. Real people were sitting in a room, and it happened. Imagine, we were sitting here waiting on God, and suddenly that back curtain flies open. Wind rushes over, fire shooting everywhere. Half of you would be running for the door that you came in. The other half would be jumping up and down saying, hallelujah. Nick's back there trying to figure out, is it actually on fire? Is this the Holy Spirit? Because that's his job, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, I read this stuff, and I go, wait, wait, this literally happened. This isn't just a fairy tale. This stuff happened to the early church. Now, they were expecting the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus said it, and they were expecting. But I don't think any of them were expecting it to look quite like that, right? I don't know who on their Holy Spirit bingo card had flame tongues and loud winds, right? They thought it, maybe it looked like a man. Who knows what they were thinking? And I think that's how God often uh, shows up. You know, we expect him to show up in a certain way, and then he will show up in a way that can only be God. Because I promise you, no matter how much smoke and mirrors we do, we cannot make flaming tongues hit people in the forehead, and I, there's just no way of doing that. But he shows up in a way that makes people realize and brings other people to him. Now, not everyone will agree and accept the way that God shows up, right? Because some of those observers said because they were drunk on wine. What kind of debauchery is this? You didn't think that first verse was going to come back into play, did you? It wasn't a joke. It was true, right? Uh, uh, I, I told you, uh, sorry, there will always be those who write off the work of the Spirit as a hoax, as a human manufacturing, or as hype. And in the same vein, there will always be people who try to manufacture the appearance of the Holy Spirit to hype and create a, a moment or a situation. But it doesn't change the truth or the reality that God pours his spirit out on his church. He did it back then, and he wants to do it again today. He is, hung, he is uh, powerful, and he wants to pour that out. Uh, let's go back to the verse, uh, back to the story, and let's see how Peter follows up to these people who are saying they're all drunk. The, uh, side note, this is not in my notes, so sorry. I, I, I think it's important to note when they were talking about speaking in tongues, like 
the reason they're pointed out that they're Galileans, they weren't just speaking. If All right, let me say this. I tried to learn Spanish, right? When I tried to learn Spanish, I didn't sound anything like a Spanish-speaking person, right? But they were speaking it, I believe, in such a way that it was Spanish, right? I don't think Spanish was there, but you understand, right? It was, they heard it, they understood it. It was more than just, oh, that sounds like someone with a Galilean accent speaking Spanish. It was like they were speaking it natively. Fun side note, ever thought of that? Anyways, so then Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you, listen carefully to what I'm saying. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken to the prophet, by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old dream men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What was spoken by the prophet Joel back in the Old Testament Testament was being made true in that moment. They were receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. In case you don't know, in the last days is a reference to the time after Jesus has come, right? It's the time between Jesus' coming and Jesus' coming again, right? They didn't know Jesus at the time, but this is a time in history where Jesus came to earth and he brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, right? But he didn't end earth in that moment. He didn't make it new like we learned about in Revelation a few weeks ago, right? But he started the process of the end time, but it is not yet finished. So this time of this last days, we are in the last days. It's not this magical moment in the clock, you know, clock starts and now we're going to end the world. He started the end times when he showed up. He's going to finish it at some point, but we live in those last days. I think it's important to understand that. When we read this prophecy from Joel, we realize that it's not just for those alive at the time of Jesus, right? But it is for those who are alive in the last days, which is us. It is written that God's people are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And who are God's people? Well, it said it right there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. The Lord is looking to pour his spirit on people today as he did back then. This prophecy is not fulfilled. It is actively being fulfilled. God wants to pour out his spirit here today on the old and the young, on the men, on women, on everyone He wants to make the wonders in heaven a present reality on earth today. He didn't leave his Holy Spirit in that upper room, right? He poured it out so it would spread generation to generation, church to church, person to person. All people have access to his power and his presence. All they must do is die to themselves and receive it. I truly believe that God is looking to pour his power out back back then just like he is today. But then the question is, what happens when the Spirit moves, right? If this power is going to be poured out, the Spirit's going to come, what happens? Well, obviously we know big winds and flaming tongues, right? Okay, maybe not. I'm not ruling it out, but I don't foresee that happening. God is God. Uh, No, what happens is we are simply able to practice the way of Jesus. 
the Holy Spirit and the power is just to practice the way of Jesus. So what is the way of the Jesus? It's the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? What Jesus did. They were self-fulfilling prophecy because he wrote it and fulfilled it, right? It gave us the, uh, the blueprint, the map, if you will. Man, wouldn't it be cool to go to that church? Have you ever stopped to think, hey, and read the stories of Jesus and realized, hey, they were real people, right? Sitting with a real dude, and I don't know if you can call Jesus dude, but I did, who was healing people, right? And then it transcended into the New Testament. You see actual people being healed. You see people who are not able to walk, get up and walk. You see dead people, get up and walk. It's insane. Wouldn't you want to go to that church? I mean, it might be a little weird, of course, but wouldn't you want to go to that church? To see sick people healed, to see demons cast out, to see the dead raised, to see the kingdom of heaven preached. That's what Jesus did. If you don't know, uh, we are a vineyard church. I don't know how you didn't know. It's in our name, but in case you didn't know. um, Maybe you don't know what that is. I think it's a great time. And I recommend looking up a little bit of the history of the vineyard movement. Uh, Because vineyard was really birthed out of a desire to do what Jesus did. We'll talk about John Wimber here in a little bit, but he said, doing the stuff, right? The stuff is what Jesus did, what the early church did, and what we are called to do. Uh, and, and that's what the Vineyard Movement's about, and that's what we're about. So if, you want, uh, if we want to do the will of the Father, we need to practice the way of Jesus. And if we are to practice the way of Jesus, we need to operate in the power of his Holy Spirit. And we see in Scripture that God has sent us to power, uh, and he will continue to send it. So what stops us? If we, if we are, come with me. I I get it. You may still be on the fence. We're going to talk about why we're on the fence. But go with me if you can accept, hey, the power of God's going to come, but what stops us from operating in that power? Because even people who believe this don't quite live it out. So I think there's a few different areas. The first one is our theology. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and try and tell you what theology you should or should not believe or anything like that. I'm not getting into that. Uh, Honestly, my theology changes about every time my understanding of the character of God changes, which is about every time I open the Bible. So I'm very slow to ever say, this is my theology because it's shifting and it should or else you're not growing with God, right? But what I will say is that if you believe the power of God is no longer present, that he no longer works through signs, wonders, and miracles, you will never see signs, wonders, or miracles. If you believe that God no longer heals people, then you will never pray for someone to be healed. If you believe that the demons are no longer a real threat to humanity, then you'll never pray to cast them out, right? I've spent a long time in the word trying to support a theology that says, I don't have to do this stuff. I don't mind the preaching of the kingdom stuff. That I can get behind, right? I could get behind the turn and burn, repent, and you know all that, and that's easy. I love that. I can control that. I can't control what the Holy Spirit's going to come and do. Did you see fire and wind? And God, If you keep reading that book, it gets weirder and weirder as you go along. But I can't control that. But when I read the Bible, when I read Jesus' teachings, when I see what Jesus did, I read the teachings of the early church, I see what the early church did, there is no way for me to escape it. We are called to do the things that Jesus did. So here at this church, 
We want to do what God called us to do. We want to do what Jesus said to do. So we are going to practice the way of Jesus. It's right there in our vision, our mission, if you will. But we're going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that I think really hinders our ability to uh, operate in power is our worldview. Now, I will tell you, this particular point on worldview and Western worldview in particular, this could be a sermon series. In fact, maybe we'll do a Saturday or Sunday night class during the summer. That's a plug that I'm manifesting, right? Uh, Because this is so deep. Uh, See, worldview, in case you don't know, this is just kind of your inherent way of seeing the earth. Worldviews are not taught, right? You don't go to worldview 101 and study what worldview you have. But it is something that is learned through your families, through your schooling, through your social economical statuses, through your uh, economics. It's literally everything from the moment you are born until now has shaped your worldview. And here in the West, we have a lot of things that will impact our ability to rely on the power of God. Uh, And I I could go on and on. Uh, In his book, uh, Power Evangelism, John Wimber, in case you don't know John Wimber, look him up. He's a really cool dude. I want to call him for lack of a better term, kind of the father of the vineyard movement, right? He was the original voice of the vineyard. He started the vineyard in Anaheim. Uh, (laughs) Awkward. Uh, And uh, he really, uh, he led this idea of the kingdom theology and what that means is the power and the presence of God operating here and now while not fully being here and now, right? So it's a really cool thing, but he talked about four different uh, hindrances in the worldview, and I will breeze through them because, again, each of these could be a whole sermon but we're not doing that. Uh, We have other things to do. Secularism, or this idea uh, that the only things that are true are things that are empirical and can be uh, considered and understood through rational thought. You have self-reliance. Let me tell me if this is true of anyone. We in the West love to just do it ourselves. We are very fine, I'll take care of it myself. My pipe first, it's fine, I'll take care of it myself. I can't, but I'm going to pretend to. I got this, right? This idea that we don't need help. That with enough time, with enough grit, with enough sweat, blood, and tears, we will do it ourselves. And I think that carries over to God and our own self-reliance. And we also have a materialism problem here in the West. And I'm not meaning we like new stuff. Maybe that's another worldview we can talk about. But I mean materialism is this idea that only what can be seen, touched, and understood, and felt, and infected, infected, affected, uh, yeah, is true, right? So only those kind of things are true. If they can't be tested, they can't be proved to be real. And there's a rationalism, this idea of rational thought. If, it, if there's a reasonable explanation, it has to be reasonable. So things like Holy Spirit, angels, demons, that's not rational. That was just uneducated people who didn't know. What's true is the scientific method which continually disproves itself. But you understand the idea there. Now, I think, uh, now, again, John Wimmer wrote this book, you know, back in the 80s. I don't think he was alive for what I'm adding. This is Jacob's notes. Uh, It's probably not as smart, but I'm going to say it. I think there's another worldview that has creeped into uh, our Western society, uh, and no one's named it that I've found, so I'm going to name it myself. I'm going to call it my truthism, all right? There's this idea in a, that, uh, and this, this is, there's an idea that uh, it's my truth, regardless of what, like people are, whatever they want to be true is true, regardless of the empirical evidence. I'm a empirical person, so I can't, I've just given up talking to anyone because no matter their political leanings, I I just can't, no, it's not, look at the truth. Anyways, this idea, and honestly, I'm not sure if this is going to be a hindrance or a, a help 
to the kingdom and the power of God. Because I, I think if you believe truth and what you're, I, I don't know, I, it's awesome. I can't wait to see how that plays out. But I do think it's worth noting that there's this, uh, it's not, not the whole world is no longer, it has to be proven. It just has to be proven to me is kind of that worldview. And I, I, I'm curious to see where that goes on. But anyways, regardless of which of those you may uh, lean in or maybe you have 25% here or there, there's an idea and a self-reliance and this understanding of me that we have to overcome. If you want a kingdom worldview, you have to be willing to lay down the worldview that you have learned and grown up into, okay? So that's something that each person has to wrestle with. I can't wrestle <laughs> with your worldview for you, but I really challenge you to go back and say, what does God say? about world, like how we should see the world? What does God say about how we should see people? And I think that's an important thing that we take on. Um, anyways, the third point, uh, this is a, another big one. I'm going to call it our self-resignation. This is that idea that you are going to count yourself out of the power of God for one reason or another. Uh, John Wimber, who I talked about, obviously, was famous for a lot of things, but one of the way, things he was famous for is a phrase, everybody gets to play. It means that every single individual who surrenders their life to Jesus has a part to play in kingdom ministry, right? They have the, they, they are, the power and presence of God is available to each person. There are no second fiddles. There's no B team of ministry, right? There's the, there's the A team who get to preach and they get to pray. No, there's no B team. We're all on the A team. And I think a lot of times people will see that as an invitation and this understanding that no one is going to exclude you, right? That's what it means. Everyone gets to play. That means I'm not going to exclude you. But here's the thing. If you're not excluded, that means you're included. So everybody gets to play means everybody gets to play, right? Everyone should be playing. Everyone should be participating. There is no bench warmers in the kingdom of heaven. That means regardless of your past sins, you are called to play. Regardless of your past failures, you are called to play. That means regardless of your age, your gender, your political leanings, your social economical status, or anything like that, or your theological backgrounds, you are called to play. It's time to get up and play. It's time to get your hands dirty. Now, I want to send a special message out to you, you old men. Uh, no offense. I'm talking about the, from the first, right? I'm not calling you old. Uh, no. I think it's time to remember the joy of ministry. The joy of mi that ministry once brought you. Because here's the reality. Your experience is needed. I think God wants to do incredible things. I think God wants to heal people. I think God wants to set people free. I think what God did back then, he wants to do again today. But this time, it's not by your strength. It's by his strength. This time, it's not through your church. It's through his church. I think there are seasons for rest, but I have yet to find it in that book where it says you get to retire. The church needs you. His church needs you. You've got work to do. All of us are called. We all have that part to play. The question is, are you ready to play? 
I'm going to read you a description of that same church, right? We just read the start of the Holy Spirit power in that church, right? I'm going to fast forward a few chapters. I don't know how many days, but a few chapters later into chapter 5. And let me read you how this church is described. And tell me if this isn't awesome. So the apostles performed many signs, wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them uh, on beds and mats so that at least the Peter's shadow might fall on them as they passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. What, did you want to go to a church like that? Right? That was church. A community who was together, who was loved, who was in, viewed by their outside community above reproach. They said, hey, those are outstanding people, and we like that they're in our neighborhood, but we want nothing to do with them. Because when we walk in that door, our lives are going to be changed. Because my neighbor, he went there one time, and now he's being crazy and jumping up and down and celebrating the love of God. It's weird. What if the community around us was like, what if your church was so crazy, like, hey, listen, we don't want anything to do with you, but we're really sick and we need healing, so we're going to come stand right outside this window here, and hopefully as Pastor Kevin's up on the stage preaching, that shadow may fall and they may get healed. What if they were? What did you want to go to a church like that? Why do we read this stuff in the early church and go, well, that was cool that they got to experience that, but uh, too bad we don't. When, where, where in that book does it say we don't get to do this? What did you really want to go to a church like that? Where people would sneak into the shadows to try and be healed. And then they couldn't leave because God changed their lives, right? Because remember, no one wanted to be there, but their numbers grew, right? Wouldn't you want to go to that church? A church of healing, a church of restoration, a church of freedom, of healthy and honest community. I feel that God is leading us to be that kind of church. I truly believe that God wants us to be a church where sick people are healed, where we don't shun modern medicine, but we don't accept the curses of there's no help for you, right? God doesn't need your eyes to work properly to help you to heal. You know, he doesn't need to have corneas and retinas to make you be able to see. He can just make things work. He created the eye. I think he can work it and hotwire it, right? What if we stopped accepting, well, at least I don't have to have major surgery. I just have to have minor surgery. Now, I'm not saying don't go through surgery, but what I'm saying is, because I think, just, I just want to be clear. I think medicine is a common gift given from God to all of society. But I don't think he has to go through medicine to heal, right? Both can be true. God, you can be healed by medicine, and you can be healed by the power of God. I think God wants to set people who are inflicted by demons free. And I know what you're thinking. This is 2023 now. There's no such thing as demons. Good, they're winning, right? Because what, what, what else do they want you to do? The less we know about them, again, the more likely we're not. I think we, God wants us to be a church where the dead is raised. Now, I know, that's where all, 
That's like the eat my flesh, drink my blood, right? That's the line. I'm not getting there. I, I've never seen that. Most people who pursue, I, they say it's, it's a weird desire, but hey, God can do it. He said he would, right? Maybe it will happen. I believe that God wants us to be a church that preaches the kingdom of heaven. I think God wants us to be a church of hope, of restoration. I truly believe that God is going to release his spirit and make us new wine. This new wine is going to have similar notes to that of the early church, right? It's not going to look the same. Nothing looks the same, but it rhymes. I think God wants to make us a new wine that rhymes and has similar notes to that of the early vineyard movement, the one that we grow our name from, but somewhere along the line, we've kind of forgotten what made vineyard vineyard. Not, not on paper. On paper, it's there. But anyways, I believe that God wants to make us new wine. I don't think God's done with this church. I don't think God's done with his global church. I don't think God's done with me. And I definitely don't think God's done with you. Uh, Band, you guys can go on, come on back up here. Um, as I, uh, I forgot to do that, so I'm going to stall half a millisecond here and talk about, uh, for me personally, personally, I'm really sick and tired of being sick and tired. Personally, I am sick and tired of theologically believing something and never seeing it come to pass. I almost think that's worse than having a theology that doesn't think these things should happen. But I'm ready to see the sick healed. I'm ready for the captives to be set free and the dead to be raised and the kingdom of heaven to be preached. Because wouldn't it be cool to go to a church like that? Think about it. Again, there are churches that we, we could do church in a lot of different ways. We could do a lot of different models and try to do, do a lot of different things. But God's called us to be a healthy church. I don't think it could be healthy without the power and the presence of God. So uh, I think God's doing something new. Not new for him, but new for us. Maybe not new for you, but different than you for you. Pray with me real fast. God, we just thank you that you are God. God, I pray for a softening of our hearts, a softening of our pride. God, I pray that you do what you want. God, I'm so tired of doing church like I'm supposed to. I'm trying to get all the right systems in place so all the right things happen. God, I just want to be a church that you have called us to be. A church where people can find hope, where people can find restoration, where people can find health. God, you didn't leave these stories behind as archaic messages of the past. Jesus said you, his church will do greater things than him. God, I ask that we could be a part of that. Be a part of the story that you started back when you created the world. I pray that we could be a people people who strive for this power and presence that you offer us. God, we repent of the things that we need to repent of, whether it be our, our own self, whether it be our, our need for systems, our need for things, our need for comfort or safety. And God, we just want to leave it all on the table. 
We want to lay it all down at your feet. All we have left to say is, come, Holy Spirit. I, I, I left a note in the, uh, in the message there, but I think God uh, is calling his church back to him. And by his church, I don't mean the church as a body. I mean, uh, I, I think there's a, you know who you are. Uh, you've done ministry before. You've seen healing happen. You've seen demons cast out. But it's been a long time. Do you want to see it again? Do you want to be a part of what God's doing? Uh, I think there comes a season of rest that, you, that we have needed. But uh, I felt a few weeks ago, uh, God knocked me over and, and was speaking to me. And I, I felt he was saying, the harvest is plentiful. And I told him, I know. And he said, pray for the harvesters. And I said, I know, I have been. And then he said, what's next? And what was next is if you look up that story, he sends out his disciples. I need harvesters because God's going to do something. And it can't be on my shoulders because this is a church. Uh, so I got Chris and Melissa uh, here. We're going to move back into some songs this week. Next week, it's going to be even more weird. We're going to turn off the music and you're going to not know what to do with yourselves. But God will show up because here's why. God wants to do things. So if you're here and you need to be re-released, you need a re-spark, you need a new uh, outpouring of that spirit, I promise you we need you and that God's not done. So as we move into this last song, where do you guys want to go? Back there up here. Up front. You got to in front of everyone because you're going to set the tone. If you want to receive that and you know that you need that and maybe ministry has looked different than what you thought it would, I think you got to realize that God's not done. He's only started. This is just the beginning of what God has for us. So uh, I'm going to turn it back over to you guys. Chris and Melissa is going to make their way up. Uh, they're going to be here. Myself, uh, Pastor Kevin, whether he realizes it or not, we're going to be here and we're going to lay hands on people as we sing these last couple songs. So if that's you, come up. Don't wait because God wants to move.